0: Well, this typically for me is when I have kind of uh, an awakening moment in the Christmas season. Uh, It happened, I think, last week where I just had to remind myself, Scott, it's always crazy like this. I think sometimes I I forget the the stress and the pressure and, and the chaos of this season. And one of the things that's fun for me, is is kind of making up new ways to think about and talk about this season. For years when our kids were little, we didn't call this season Christmas. We called it Sickness because it seemed like every year our kids got sick during the season and we were canceling plans and rescheduling things. And, And I can remember one year I got double pink eye at Christmas for my kids. Yeah, it was terrible. And, and if, if this was back in the 90s, it would be fine. But this was like the era of like HD cameras and live streaming. Like you can't, like people see that. They know, you know, something's going on there. That's kind of gross. Uh, another term that I often use for this season is wildness. You know, it just, the, the calendar explodes. It seems like people are exploding. It's just, it's wild. It's crazy. It, it's all these things jammed into a few weeks. And I, I had a moment a few weeks ago where I told my assistant, hey, we're now in that season of let's talk in January to people. Let's, let's schedule things in January. I also had a moment where I'm like, look, I am not going to get done all the things I want to get done. And that felt like a little bit like death, like you're kind of admitting those things. But that's what this season is. I told a friend this week that I believe Christmas is like a magnifying glass. Christmas is like a magnifying glass. If you're having a great year Christmas magnifies that. It's it's so much bigger and it's so much better. And and if the people are there that you want to be there and if the resources were there that you hope to have there and the opportunities had been there that you wanted to be there and all those things are happening, it just makes it so much greater. But on the other side, if this has been a rough year or this has been a rough season or you're in a tough place, Christmas shines like a magnifying glass on that. And it it makes it harder. It makes it more painful. It makes it more difficult. I was talking to Pastor Josh and our staff this week that, that Christmas makes people desperate. It brings out this desperation within us, this kind of striving or reaching. And, and we've seen this in funny ways with, you know, movies like Jingle All the Way, where you've got a parent who's searching for a toy and they're willing to go to any length to get that. We also see this in dark ways as we see people acting out and lashing out because they're desperate. We truly are a weary people living in a, a weary time. And that's why one of the most popular Christmas songs, my favorite Christmas song, uh, the most popular Christmas song of our church, according to a recent Facebook post, is O Holy Night, which says, till he appears and the soul felt its worth, a thrill of hope the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Part of the reason that this song is, is so loved is not because of who sings it, but because these words, they speak to our souls. And we've been leaning into a passage of scripture, which I think speaks to this and and brings this to life. Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I'm lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And that's been our hope this month our hope has been that, that you would recognize that there's an invitation that Jesus is offering you. And that invitation is to travel light, to lay down all of these, these bags and this baggage that you're carrying in this season, the, the, the burdens that you've put on yourself and the weariness that's come from that, and that you might embrace the, the, the load that God has for you. Because let's be honest, following Jesus is not easy. But he does promise us that with him, he says it right here, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, especially when compared to what we were carrying before. And the reason why his, his burden is light is because he is carrying it with us. God is with us and he's in this with us. And that's why we can travel light today. So today I'm going to share with you the third message in this series. And if you're taking notes, here's the big idea. We find rest for our souls when we receive our identity from God. We find rest for our souls when we receive our identity from God. So far in this series, we looked at Zachariah and Elizabeth and their long battle with infertility. We looked at, at Joseph and his struggle to see his life go in a totally different direction. And today we're going to look at the story of Mary and how she bears this son who will become the Messiah. So if you've got your Bibles with you, I encourage you to open up to Luke chapter 1 this morning. Luke chapter 1. If you're new to the Bible— it's totally okay. This is near the back of your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew 1 and Luke 1 and 2 kind of give us the, the, the guts of the Christmas story this morning. And um, this to me is always a passage that kind of feels celebratory because it's the passage we would always read every year on Christmas Eve in my household. Um, I have to tell you too, I, I know that uh, I, uh, I'm just really excited today too because it was a really big week in my family. If you get the paper, um, I'm no longer the biggest deal in my family anymore. My wife is going to be a judge starting in January of 2024. So, So yes, Judge Savage is the coolest name in the world. And, yes, I am a little bit scared. But we're really proud of her. So, if you get got your Bibles, would you stand up and read this morning with me Luke 1. 26 to 38. If you don't got a Bible, our friend Jacob upstairs will keep it going. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel came to her and said, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. So when the angel told her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus and he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, how can this be since I've not had sexual relations with a man? And the angel replied to her, the Most High will come over you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. The Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth, even she has conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month for her who was called childless, for nothing will be impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. Jesus, I pray that that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you this morning as I teach from your word, and I pray that the ears and the hearts and the eyes of every person in this room would be open to receive what you have for them. Thank you for giving us your word, and we pray that you speak through it this morning. In your name we pray, amen. You can be seated. Now, now, as we start today, I, I want us to think about some ways that we could describe Mary, some ways that we could kind of think about who this woman was, because as much as this is a Christmas story, this is also a real person who really lived like you are living and I am living. And so to, to do that, I asked Pastor Josh to help me this morning. I think he's ready And so we've got a little friend who's going to join us out here. If you want to give Josh a round of applause for his hard work this week. So uh, this is Helga. She hangs out in the church offices. Uh, When I first came to Cornerstone, the way I was welcomed in my very first day on staff was I opened my door and there was a creepy little mannequin doll sitting at my desk Kind of imagine Chucky, but like a child even more. And so, uh, and so that, that doll got passed around our staff. It even showed up at one staff member's wedding at one point. And then one of our staff members was at a flea market, and she found Helga. And so Helga came to our office and started getting passed around. And it wasn't just the way we treated others. We stashed Helga in our boiler room in our roster campus. And then our boiler broke. So the boiler repairman came in, and he opened the door, and Helga was waiting for him. <laughs> I had never heard a grown man scream that loud in my life. And so uh, so today, Helga is going to stand in for Mary a little bit. Be- because what I want us to do is I-, I want us to think about the ways in which Mary had been labeled and identified by her own people. And why this message from the angel was so shocking. I brought some name tags with me this morning for for. Hel- for Helga slash Mary, and, and the first one is that, that Mary was, was poor. I mean, not poor like in our world poor, like not poor in America, like you're struggling to make ends meet, but you still have a smartphone and you still have a car. I'm talking like dirt, dirt poor, the poorest region in all of the Roman Empire. She also would have been illiterate. She couldn't read. Because in that day, they didn't teach women to read. One word to describe her would have been unimportant. I mean, to us, she's Mary, she's gonna be the mother of savior. But in that world, she was about as unimportant as you could get. She was a female, which in that world meant that she couldn't own property. She couldn't vote if there was a vote. She couldn't inherit property. And if something was done wrong to her, she had to have somebody else to verify her testimony in court because her word alone wasn't enough. She was uh, pretty powerless. I mean, there wasn't a whole lot she could do to change her lot in life or chart a different future. Up until Gabriel arrives, uh, I'd say she's pretty unknown. And if they're ever epitomized... The reality of a uh, small town girl—that would be Mary. Later on, one of Jesus' own disciples, when he's told where Jesus is from, he says, "Nazareth? Can anything good come from there?" Yeah, that's that's Mary's town. I got this whole list for you right here. This is Mary. And and, and all too often I think we get caught up in the Mary that we know and the story that we know and the Mary Did You Know song and, and all those pieces. But long before she was that Mary, she was this Mary. Not a whole lot going for her. Not the kind of person anybody would pick. Author Kent Hughes put it this way. He says, from all indicators, Mary's life would not be extraordinary. She would marry humbly give birth to numerous poor children, never never travel more than a few miles away from home, and one day die like thousands of others before her, a nobody in a nothing town in the middle of nowhere. So as we dive into her story today, I want you to have that as the context for who this person is and why what God does is so significant. So from Mary's story today, I want to share with you three lessons that I think we can take away from her experience. And here's the first one. We develop baggage when what others say about us is the truest thing about us. We develop baggage when what other people put on us and what they say about us and how they label us, when that becomes the truest thing about us, we get baggage from that. And I, as I posted over here, I mean, Mary had lots of labels attached to her. I mean, I could have gone all the way down both legs. I just wasn't sure how well sticky stuck to Jean's. So I decided to pass on that. But, but Mary had a lot of labels attached to her and words in her, her mind that were her sense of self. And that was her framework for how she heard the message of the angels through. And this is one of the places that I think we can relate to Mary because haven't you had a label attached to you at some point by somebody? Haven't you had somebody put something on you that kind of limited you or pigeonholed you or kind of put you in a corner? And, and one of the reasons that we use labels is it's easier to understand. It gives us a frame of reference, but, but it can also be a limiting thing. The challenge, though, is that when we... label people. I'll try a leg, just see how it does. We label people so that we can often minimize them. See, in the eyes of her people, Mary was a nobody. And, And I can relate to that because I've experienced, like you, people trying to label me too. When I first became a pastor 12, 13 years ago, Somebody asked me if my wife was going to become a stay-at-home mom because that's what pastor's wives are supposed to do. And I said, no, she's got a calling too. So that was a label that was put on me. Scott, you're not going to be successful because your wife is not traditional enough. Over the years, I've been told that I'm, uh, I'm too emotional in my, my pastoring. Uh, also, I'm not traditional. I bring mannequins on stage. <laughs> Uh, When I first got started, I was told I was too young. The first sermon I gave, the person warned me about being a pastor because I talked too fast. I've had people leave churches that I've been at before because I don't preach enough verse by verse from the Bible. I've been told that I'm too touchy-feely. And like you, I, I wear a lot of that. And these become yeah. these the baggage baggage that limits our view of ourselves, and even more, limits our view of God. Because the hard part is, is if this is who Mary was, and if these were all the, the labels that she was wearing, these were all the things in her mind, this is who she was, then that was her definition of what God could do through her, not the way God saw her these labels that I wear, the labels that you carry become the limiting factors that keep us from all that God has for us. A name tag is great when it tells people who they are, but a name tag is baggage when it becomes more important than what God says. And here's the good news. Nobody knew Mary's name, but guess what? God did. In the eyes of her world, she was a nobody, but in the eyes of her creator, she was somebody. And she may have been living in the backside of nowhere without any power or money or voice, but God knew where she was. God knew where to find her. God knew what he could do through her. And so if today you're like, Scott, I'm a nobody. If I Didn't come back next Sunday, nobody would notice. I'm here today, I'm not sure anybody notices. Here's what I want you to know. If you're worried that no one knows your name, God does. And if God knew where Mary was and he knew who Mary was and he went and found Mary for the purposes he had for her, God knows where you are. He knows where to find you. He knows your name and that's why you have worth and value. I love what Derwin Gray says. He says, if Jesus knowing your name is not enough, then the whole world knowing your name will never be enough. If the one who spoke the stars into existence, who imagined the Grand Canyon and every great sunrise and sunset you've seen, the one who had the idea to make the Aurora Borealis, created you, numbered every hair on your head, and knows you. That's why you have worth and value. And that's why what God says about you is the truest thing about you. Because there's no one who knows you better than God. There's no one who loves you more than God. And there's no one who has purposes for you even greater than God. And that's why one of the lessons I've taken away from Mary's story this year is that when we make other people's words and labels the truest thing about us. That's the quickest way to develop baggage that keeps us from experiencing all that God has for us. And it leads to weariness and burden. And instead, we find the rest we're looking for when we receive our identity from God, not from people. Lesson number two. It's easy for us to forget we don't deserve God's favor. It's easy for us to forget we don't deserve... God's favor. If you have your Bibles open this morning, I want you to look back into the passage. Verse 28 says, And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Now, every time an angel approached a person in the Bible, we've talked about this in this series. I did my scream a few weeks ago. I'm not going to scream again. But we talked about whenever an angel approaches someone, their first response is, Thank you. I wasn't looking for the scream, but I'll take it. Um, It's fear. It's fear. She wasn't expecting to hear favored, she was expecting to feel fear. And before Mary has to wrestle with this idea that she's going to give birth to the Messiah, she has to deal with the fact that she's disturbed by the words of Gabriel Me? I'm favored? With all of this, I'm favored? I'm favored? And the angel goes on after that, the, the recording is, but she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Because I don't know what, what you define favor as, but here's the word that the writer Luke uses to describe favor in Greek, it means to endow with grace and to make graceful. It's to give something to someone they didn't already have and that they don't deserve. When you are favored, you didn't deserve it and you have to receive it. This word right here, karakotomene, don't tell my Greek professor I butchered that, is rooted The same root for this word is the same root for this word, grace. Friends, grace is God's unmerited favor in our lives. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. We can only receive it. And so when Mary hears greetings favored woman, it is this indication that God is giving her something she didn't earn and didn't deserve and can only receive. I love how Daniel Darling explains this. He says, Mary didn't say, of course you'd choose me to bear the Messiah. I've worked myself into this position. I've kept all the Jewish laws and customs. I'm faithful. And frankly, our family fits the family qualifications and socioeconomic markers. No. I mean, go back to the... She wouldn't say that because that's what's true. Darling goes on. He says, No, Mary knew, and we know too, that favor by God is not earned, nor is it deserved. Just as Mary was visited by God, so we, too, so we too who call ourselves Christians have been miraculously visited by God. We don't deserve God's favor, and yet like Mary, because of the life of that baby, we can be called friends of God. If you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus comes to you and says, Greetings, favored woman. Greetings, favored man. Greetings, favorite boy. Greetings, favored girl. Didn't earn it. Didn't deserve it. But you can't receive it. And later on, Mary will sing a song about this. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, because he's looked with favor upon the humble condition of his servant. Mary knew. That's my judgment on that song, by the way. Mary knew. Mary, did you know? Yes, she she did know. Um, But Mary knew. She knew who she was in that moment in the world. She describes herself as having a humble condition. And so when God speaks and he says, greetings, favored woman, and he tells her, she knows that she didn't earn the, the opportunity to be the one who carried the Son of God. She didn't deserve that but it was a gift. And so she was going to receive it. And this is where I think it's important to talk about this during this time of year, because one of the dangers of this time of year is entitlement. And God's grace and entitlement were not intended to coexist in our hearts. Maybe it's because I'm a parent. I'm like hyper vigilant for entitlement at Christmas, you know? Maybe it's because I can remember the years at Christmas when the things I wanted to get from my family, we couldn't afford. So I remember that, and I don't want my kids to have that entitlement. But entitlement's a danger for me too, and it's a danger for you too, that along the way, you might stop remembering that what you have with God, you didn't earn and you didn't deserve. This is the reason why so often people who follow Jesus look down on others because they move from grace to entitlement. In a little bit, we're going to go out to the lobby and we're going to baptize some people. And here's the reason why they're getting baptized. Ephesians 2, for you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. There is no bragging in the baptistry. And there should not be any bragging in the body of Christ. What do you have to brag on? This is where you were when God found you. This is where you were when God's grace met you. You didn't bring anything to the equation, but the need for favor and the need for grace, and it came to you as a gift. And so today, when we watch these people get baptized, remember that you once were there too, and what you have with God, you didn't earn, and you're not entitled to it. And the the weariness that comes from trying to achieve that, you can find rest from when you receive your identity from God. Here's the third lesson from Mary's story. Saying yes to God's invitation changes the trajectory of our lives. Saying yes to God's invitation, it changes the trajectory of our lives. After he's told her, Gabriel has, that she's going to bear a son, even though she's a virgin, here's what she hears. She goes, How can this be? Because I've not had sex relations with a man. She raises this question, and I think it's a good question. It's a good reminder that in church you should ask questions. But what's interesting, if you were here two weeks ago, is that Zachariah also asked a question when he was told about a surprise pregnancy. And if you remember what happened to Zachariah, he couldn't talk for nine months. So, what's the difference? Zechariah, when he asked his question, his was rooted in disbelief while Mary's was rooted in curiosity. How can this be? She was trying to understand how it would work. Zechariah, when he asked this question, was saying, hey, there's no way this can work. And in response, the angel says to her in verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high, most high will overshadow you. Therefore, the holy one to be born will be called the son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth, even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who was called childless, for nothing will be impossible with God. And then Mary replies, see, I am the Lord's servant. May it happen to me as you have said. What the angel does at the end of this passage in Luke one thirty seven is it he reminds Mary that with God, anything is possible. And this, Mary, this angel reminded Mary that God redefines what is possible. We all have our frame of reference of what we think is possible. That could happen, couldn't happen. Could happen, couldn't happen. Couldn't happen, no way. Maybe, but it'd be a stretch. And what the angel does is the angel reminds Mary that it is God who defines and redefines what is possible. And so once she's heard the how, all that's left for Mary is to give her answer to the question. And what Mary does is ultimately she says, yes, I'll do this. I'll take this on. May it be according to your will in my life. And and I know that there's a song called Mary, Did You Know? that talks about who Jesus would be. But before we get to Jesus, I want to get to Mary. Here's what Mary's yes meant. It meant that she was going to endure the shame of an unwed pregnancy. Even in our day, there's still some lasting shame. And that day was the end. You thought she were a nobody before. You thought she were looked down on before. The difficulty of raising the Son of God, I mean, moms, I mean, you know how hard some of your kids are. Imagine raising the Son of God. The, the lifetime of emotions that she was going to go through, she'd be super excited for him to be born and then terrified to let him go. She'd be super excited when he turned water into wine and, and terrified when the people began to come after him. She'd be super excited when he fed people and healed people and the blind could see and the lame could walk and the deaf could hear. And then she'd watch him be arrested unjustly. She'd watch her son suffer on a cross and die. When she said yes in that moment, may it be to me according to your will, her yes opened all of that up. And later, Jesus said yes. He was in a garden and he said, Father, if this cup can pass from me, let it pass. Yet not my will, but yours be done. And his yes meant some things too. It meant that he left the comfort and privilege of heaven to come to earth. It meant that he endured the shame of, of beatings and mockings. That he was going to go through the difficulty of enduring temptation. Hebrews 4 says that Jesus was tempted in every way as we were, yet without sin. And that he was going to watch those he loved and came to save reject him instead. Jesus would go up to Jerusalem and say to Jerusalem, 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 how I wish I could gather you together like a mother chicken gathers her hens, but you wouldn't have it. How I wish that I could save you, but you won't have it. Jesus' yes to his father opened up all of that. And so here's the question for you in light of Mary's. Will you say yes to God today? I'm not saying an angel's gonna show up and tell you that you're going to bear a child. I'm not saying that you're going to be told to, to pivot your life in that way. But there is going to come an opportunity to you and for you for you to embrace an opportunity God is putting in front of you and for you to say yes to him. And here's the thing. I don't know what your yes is going to be. It's easy to look back on Mary's story and go that, 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 and that all came from that, yes. It's easy to read the Gospels and go, for Jesus, he said yes, and this, this, and this came from that. It's easy to do that when you have the whole story, but I don't have your whole story and you don't have mine. So I don't know what your yes will mean. But here's what I do know. I know that you can trust the one to whom you're saying yes. Because he was worthy of Mary's trust. The Father was worthy of Jesus' trust. And in every moment where He's invited me to say yes, He's shown that He's worthy of trust too. That's why Mary's story is so much bigger and so much better and more beautiful than I think most of us admit. And that's why I think there's lessons for us in our story too. So here's a couple next steps for you this morning. First, I wonder what labels you've received from others which are keeping you from trusting what God says about you. Do you have a stack like I do? The, the words of a parent or a coach or a teacher or a friend or a spouse that, that are getting in the way of you trusting what God says about you and perhaps this season you need to start peeling those off and start dealing with the baggage that you're carrying as a result Just because they said it doesn't mean it's true. And they don't have the best view of you. Your Heavenly Father does. What He says about you is the truest thing about you. So first one is about your labels. Secondly, I want to encourage you to prayerfully place your yes in the hands of God. Say, Jesus, I trust you with my life. Not just my eternity. You know, your life is not on a layaway plan where you can just kind of get to it later. Jesus, I'll I'll follow you later, but right now this is mine. No, Jesus, today. Today I give you my life and I give you my yes and you can take it where you want to take it. And then number three, Receive the rest that Jesus offers you at Christmas and every other time of the year. We get so exhausted and weary and tired in this season, and you sing the song about a weary world rejoices, and you think about rest, but let me tell you, what's true at Christmas, this is going to blow some of your minds, is true in January too. Jesus comes near us and we, we celebrate that at Christmas, but he's near and available to us every day. And if you have felt restless, if you have felt weary, you can come and receive that rest from Jesus any day, including today. 1,500 years, Augustine wrote these words. He said, Lord, thou madest us for thyself and we can find no rest until we find rest in thee. I know you may be feeling weary from your holiday schedule, but I'm not as concerned with the rest from that as I am concerned with the rest for your souls. You won't really find true rest until you find rest in him. And I believe that comes as you receive the words that he says about you to be true. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much for the season and what you're teaching us. I thank you for the things you've shown me that I've been invited by you to, to work through with you. I want my life to be a home where there's room for you and where there's an opportunity for you to have the loudest voice when it comes to who I am and to direct me where you want me to go. I sense Jesus in this room. There's a lot of other people who want those same things. And so we just pray that we would experience your presence and your nearness this year. We pray that you'd enable us to lay down our burdens as we come to you and find real rest for our souls. We thank you that you're gonna go through life carrying that burden with us. And because you're with us, that yoke is easy and that burden is light. Thank you for the faithfulness of Mary and the way that she said yes to you. Thank you for being worthy of her trust. And we thank you that you're worthy of our trust today too. We celebrate these stories and these examples of how you bring life from death. We give you all the glory, Jesus, in your name we pray, amen.